The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. He's brought with him Mitch Fox. You can find out more at donfox.net as well. You can call IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Good Good morning, morning, Mitch. Long time no see. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, what a wacky time, wacky world we seem to be living in right now. My goodness, if it's not a pandemic, it's a protest, it's supply chain uh, tie-ups and such. It's, uh, It's a pretty bizarre start to to 2022. Uh, what has that done to the markets? What does that mean for your time in the market or timing it per se? Yeah, you know what? That's, uh, you know, everybody's reading the headlines these days. If it's, you know, you mentioned a few things, Russia, you, you, Ukraine right now, yeah. um, obviously the Canadian issues, pandemic still kind of going on or off, depending which country you're in, it seems. Some are loosening things up, some are still tightening up. And, and you know what? It's, uh, and also, we just had a couple of good years, too, in the markets um, in terms of the stock market performance. So everybody's kind of saying, well, do I pull it out? Do I stay in? And what should I do? And yeah, the volatility has been way off the charts against, particularly the growth stocks. You know, the ones that are, um, and we talked about the technology stocks, they're very interest sensitive. There's talks about interest rates rising or falling. So many things on the on the plate right now. And uh you know, we're seeing that day by day with the ups and downs of the market. And, uh, you know, I, I know Mitch has uh, put together a little presentation of what's, what we should be doing during these kind of uh, unexplained times and what should we be doing. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Don. This is something I've been hearing very common these days. It's been common for years, uh, especially the last five. Um, it's been labeled by many as the most hated bull market. Lots of people have been anticipating a crash or recession even before COVID even existed to people or even was known about. And with COVID and all the factors come with it, inflation, interest rates, as you mentioned, it's just been even more heightened. Uh, Housing prices, the possibility of Russia invading Ukraine, or everyone's just a little bit more heightened. And with COVID and people being trapped at home and us being in Ontario and it being winter, there's just less outdoor activities and less stuff that can be done even especially with all the restrictions that have come as well. So people don't have too much uh, else to do besides kind of focus on uh, <laughs> their, their financial plan, uh, hearing all bad news on a daily basis, whether uh, their protests, Ukraine, housing, inflation, interest rates, like the list can go on and on. Uh, so with all this, I'm finding it very common for people I talk to, to ask if they should adjust their portfolio, which is whether that's adding more fixed income, or even some people are considering holding off and sitting on the sidelines until either a crash, a recession, or until they're comfortable and for market situations to be a little bit more steady. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, that idea of being comfortable. I've yet to see a client after 37 years say I'm comfortable now. And if they are <laughs> comfortable, it's usually when the market's gone up for like 20, 30%. And I was like, ooh, um, I just missed the boat. I better get in. 
And it, it's, there's always an unsettling event. I always call it crisis du jour. You know, there's always something, whether it was, you know, January 6th last year at the Capitol buildings, you know, transfer of power to, an, you know, the next president. There's always something. And one person said many years ago to me, it's, you know, it's, it's all ice cream. It might be different flavors of ice cream. It might be chocolate versus vanilla, but at the end of the day, it's just ice cream. And the market's are very resilient, resilient, and I and I'm sure you think the same way, Mitch. Yeah, and it's something you mentioned there, which I was going to talk touch upon later, was um, fear of missing the boat, or people today are calling FOMO, fear of missing out, and it can go both ways. So if the market's red hot, like it's been for years, and you mentioned earlier, tech sectors, uh, people are calling in, and they're like, I should be putting all of my stuff into tech, into growth stocks. And they're asking if they should move away from value and away from their financial plan. Uh, so it works both ways. When the market's going down, all these negative news are coming out. People want to adjust to fixed income. And that's just a human emotion versus the FOMO of when things are going up, people get a little greedy and they want to dive in and get into the, the tech stocks and the stuff that are sexy at that time. But uh, I have a good quote, Charles Ellis, which author from Investment Policy. The average long-term experience in investing is it's never surprising, but the short-term experience is always surprising. So if you're looking at a long-term picture, it's going to do well as long as you have a good financial planner that has a good diversified portfolio, keep you to that plan long-term. It's going to be predictable. It's not going to be surprising. It's not going to be super sexy. It's not going to blow your mind, but it's going to do well and it's going to achieve your goals. But if it's short term and you're looking at month to month experiences of the returns, there's going to be countless things that adjust those returns uh, all the time. Every year, uh, every time there's a, a drop, it's about one out of four years. So about 25% are going to be a down year. So with the odds so overwhelmingly in favor of green, or positive years, why do so many investors fight those odds and try to time the market? And like Don mentioned before, FOMO, fear of missing the boat, that's one of them. So the greed, they'll try to avoid, uh, get away from their original plan and try to dive into something to get a little extra percent, typically does not work out. Yeah, or, it's uh, also interesting, you know, this is not new. We are not wired to make money. Honestly, human beings are just not wired for this. You know, 37 years ago, my trainer, and I'm, you know, 22 years old coming into the business. And he says, you know, the markets are like a, a person walking up the stairs with a yo-yo. The day-to-day, -day, <laughs> quarter by quarter is a yo-yo, but long-term are the stairs. Nothing's changed. Here we are 37 years later. It's the same thing. You know what? Money's emotional. Yeah. The only thing that's really different over the years <laughs> is the crisis that sets it all off. That's all that changes, right. the predicament. Yeah, ex exactly, Scott. Yeah, well, the people who attempt to avoid pullbacks, they're more often led to missing out on significant advances. And if you look at the last five years, it was the most hated bull market even before that. And people were waiting on the sideline, waiting to get in is some of the biggest gains to, to ever happen in the stock market. Uh, if I were to take an example from 2009 to 2019, here's just a list of reasons why uh, people would be afraid and why people would sit out. So in March 2009, GM filed for bankruptcy. March 2011, we had the most powerful earthquake to ever hit. 2000, March, December 2013, we had a government shutdown. September 2014, we had Ebola virus fears. June 2016, we had Brexit. December 2018, we had another government shutdown. So within five years, we had two government shutdowns. Those are the U.S. shutdowns, right? That's correct. Yeah. Correct. So these are U.S. This is all comparing to the S&P. Uh, 
500. June 2019, the U.S. had a trade war. December 2019, there was Iranian bombings. So there's so many more on this list of headlines. And you'd, you'd read these headlines, you hear these headlines, and you start to get fear. Uh, you'd start to be afraid and maybe want to adjust your portfolio. But if you just stuck to this plan from 2009, 2019, the S&P actually did 495%. Mm-hmm. Wow. So for you the know people... What? These government shutdowns, like you said, we're having these government shutdowns now, but it just seems to be a lot of truckers in Ottawa right now. <laughs> different type of shutdown. Yeah, different type of shutdown. <laughs> yeah, he's shut down hiding from the truckers right now. <laughs> hey, is so, there anywhere you can invest in happiness? Is that a stock portfolio anywhere? You know, uniting, less divisiveness, anything like that? That would oh, take off right about now. It would. Absolutely. I think everybody's... Uh, kind of just ready to kind of get out and get back to kind of normal and then everything's just going along and these crises always are headlines now good news is um whether in the u.s or ukraine or or you uh or uh, europe everybody knows about our truckers these days so you know put canada on the map and our, and, and recently our, our snowboarder too uh, hitting gold there last week so that's good <laughs> lots of ways to make the headlines yep is that mark mcmorris uh no no, different okay. snowboarder. But uh, okay. yeah, no, he came. I think he came third, actually. But uh, yeah, no, awesome. it's uh, it's great to, you know, Canada being in the news, but, you know, um, for two different reasons. At the end of the day, though, um, how does all this news affect the markets? And as you mentioned, Mitch, I, I, I wouldn't want to be missing out on the 495%. No, I mean, it's just sticking to your plan and having a good financial planner. So it's not like, your, your, your goals don't, they can adjust, but your long-term goals, your 10 to 25 year goals, these are things that we sit down with clients and we say, what do you want to do in 10 years? What do you want to do in 25 years? And here's a portfolio that's going to get you to achieve your goals just because of certain circumstances like COVID or government shutdowns from the past. It's never adjusted the plan. So it shouldn't adjust how you change your financial planning. It doesn't change your goals. We're not here to blow your plan out of the water and do extremely well. We're here to make you achieve your goals and keeping to the plan. And that's one of the toughest part of our jobs as financial planners is actually keeping clients to their plans because of just Mm -hmm. like you mentioned earlier, Don, uh, humans are just, they're not wired to invest. They're, they're emotional and people get afraid when the market goes down and people get greedy when the market goes up. And we have to either dial them back when they get greedy or kind of hold their hand a little bit when the market's down and say, you know what, this wasn't a month to month plan. This was a five year, 10 year, 15 year plan. Yeah. And it is actually interesting with the markets. Uh, we can talk about 10 year averages, but when we talk about people get just so impatient, uh, you know, the, as you mentioned earlier, Mitch, how, you know, the long term things are very certain. The markets do quite well, but the patience of people, Oh, what has it done this quarter? Oh, what did it do last week? Does that really matter? Is there, is, is there a lot of clients that are that concerned about their portfolio on a month-to-month basis? Or do the majority just kind of, you know, they open the envelopes, they let her go, they've made the plan, they ride the, they ride the bus. What, how, what percentage are calling you all the time and what the others just leave it? Well, well, Go ahead, from Richard. my from my experience, it it depends on the circumstance. So if for if someone just retired, they they might be a little uncertain right. of what they're doing, what they're spending their money on, and they're not right. getting that certainty of the salary. But right. so they might just be sitting at home figuring out their next goals of what they want to do, and they've been right. saving for the last thirty years of work. 
but it, it depends on the circumstance. If it's a 20 to 30 year old accumulator, I'm not getting any calls from them. Yeah, uh, They yeah. know what they're putting money away monthly for, but if it's yeah. someone who's 60 years old and just retired, uh, they're for sh- and they just retired like two months ago when the market yeah. just started going down, they, yeah. they're definitely a little concerned. That so, makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. It depends on where you are in your life. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management, along with Mitch Fox. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 74 All right. At that time of year again, I guess uh, we're getting down to the RSP crunch season and such. Uh, Any advice moving forward there? Yeah. So, you know, what would be a mid-February show without talking about RSPs a little bit? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and and to piggyback on Mitch's uh, segment there on performance, obviously everybody wants performance. And that's what the whole point of investing is. Just get a good rate of return over the long haul. And of course, everybody wants no risk and high returns. Well, that's not quite possible, but you can look at the long haul. And it's amazing how little risk there is as long as you have your eye on the, on the longer term. The interesting thing is everyone wants a forecast. And now we're into the second month of the year. And I, I, I got this um, one interesting article and it showed the S&P and all these experts trying to forecast what the, the US stock market would do. It goes all the way back from 2002 to 2021. So for all these years, first of all, the first thing I wanted to note, there was never a negative forecast. Okay? Mm. <laughs> every single for so for basically 20 years, every forecast was positive. And it, it's quite interesting. I, I wish I could show the viewers this uh, this chart. But what what the actual forecast rarely were they close. Um, I'm looking at these 20 years and I would say three of those 20 years were, were very close three out of 20. And uh, none of them predicted the negative years. Of course, uh, we, as Mitch mentioned earlier, usually about a quarter of the years are negative. Well, in this 20 years, there happen to be four negative years. So one fifth of those years were negative. So it, it's quite interesting. I, I always love looking at what people predict in January and then using it in December to see how close they were. Well, mm. out came this little article and says, you know what? Um, it's It's more of just it's basically like reading your horoscope and seeing after yeah. the end of the day, how was my horoscope related to my day? So that, that would probably work if the world stood still, if it didn't change for that 12 months, you'd probably be bang on. Yeah. And that's just a, you know, a small assumption, Scott, you know, yeah. everything stays the same. Yeah. Nothing changes. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Sure. Now our RSPs, they've been around for a long time. Everybody seems to know what RSPs are to the point that people are almost embarrassed if they, don't really know. So I like to just bring it right back to the the beginning here. What is an RSP? Well, a registered retirement savings plan is really simply a tax deferral plan. You you can save tax now and it's added to and then when you pull the money out later it's added to your income. No real difference in a personal pension plan. 
if you're part of is you know a, a pension plan at work uh say uh you know if you work for the government you often have money coming off your pay and the same idea it goes into this fund you get a tax deduction for that and you have to pay tax on your pension when you start getting a monthly pension when you retire same idea um the nice thing about an rsp though very similar to a pension plan they are creditor proof not that too many people go bankrupt but it's always nice to know that for particularly for small business owners that this money regardless of their situation the creditors cannot go after it and that's extremely important in fact i've had a lot of uh, business people over the years business owners say you know i'm going to use my rsps to kind of get myself out of this predicament and i always suggest you know what that's probably not the best thing to do because if it doesn't work out for you at least you have your rsps to fall back on um this year um the maximum contribution is is still 18 percent of your uh, 2020 um, net income up to 27,830. now that doesn't mean a lot to most people because most people you really just need to look at your notice of assessment but if you've maximized it every year this year's notice of assessment and your income was over 154,611 in 2020 not 2021 it's always one year behind um your your limit will be 27,830. so this goes against your marginal tax brackets and so it's always something we've talked about on the show you know what kind of benefit will i get by putting money into this rsp and some people actually and this is i i, I totally disagree with this kind of way of looking at it but at least it makes them save some money what some people do is say well i i'm going to owe like two thousand dollars tax at the end of the year how much rsp should i get to offset that well that to me is not real financial planning but you know at the same token at least you're putting some money away so i can't say it's all bad but you should really look at a bigger picture what should i be doing and really have a financial plan in order to create enough uh nest egg if you will to create a, a, an income for when i retire and so if you say put in ten thousand dollars and it was actually maybe a bit too much and you wanted to you didn't you know you certainly could do it and you could deduct it all but you really should look at your tax brackets to see if it makes more sense to carry some of that forward to next year and by the way anything you contribute in january and february can be either used for the 21 2020 tax year or the 2021 tax i apologize the 2021 or the 2022 tax year i'm falling back a year here um but you know i'll, I'll give you some generalities here and the tax rates basically for 2021 where anything from 21,000 to 45,000, you're in a 20% tax bracket. That is the lowest tax bracket in Canada. So generally speaking, it's not the best to use RSPs if that's where your income is. And I say generally because I'm gonna go over something just later on in the show. Uh, if your income is between 49,000 and 79,000, you're in a 29.65% tax bracket. So we can round it to 30%. That's kind of the norm in terms of a lot of tax brackets. Still, it may be a very good idea to use up some of that tax bracket. Um, there's a, a tax bracket from 98,000 to 150, and you're in a 43.41% tax bracket. So if you're accelerating your income, and your income was say 100,000 this year, but you know it's gonna go up say within a couple of years to 130 because of upcoming raises or management positions or what have you, you may wanna, you know, only put 2,000 in this year and save that 30,000 for when you're really into that tax bracket. So tax bracket planning is very important. 
I'd be amiss to not mention the highest bracket in Canada, which is anything over $220,000. It just went up. Finally, after all these years, $221,000, they moved it by $1,000, $221,709. And that tax bracket, anything you make over that is 53.53%, which we've often talked about on the show is pretty you know, criminal that, you know, the, the government's getting actually more than you're getting. Mm. So it's always good to try to limit that tax bracket by using RSPs or any legal ways possible to try to reduce your income down to 220 if possible. Now, really, there's three kinds of situations we come across. One would be the accumulator. And this would be somebody, say, you know, Mitch's age, around 30 years old or, or younger, or, you know, just a bit older. Somebody's just, they're starting work, and really, they just want to put some money away. I, I, I just would say, you know, the best thing is just do it. Start accumulating money. And first thing I do is see what your employer has. If they have a group plan, make sure you do it. There's so many group plans out there that are people aren't taking advantage of them. The, the company is there giving you free money. You put in $1,000 and they're going to put in, say, $500. That's a kind of a common one where it's a 50% matching. And it's amazing how few people say they can afford to do that. And it's really part of their compensation. And I'm going to just kind of give you an idea what that would cost you. So let's say you could put in $300 was the maximum where the employer would match 50%. Well, that means you put in 300 and the employer would put in 150. Now, if you put that into a 3% investment, a very low paying investment, you'd end up 40 years later with $278,000. And you'd end up with another 139,000 from the employer. Not terrible. So at the end of the day, you're sitting there with $417,000 by the time you're ready to retire. Now, the reason I use 3% is I came across a situation just a couple of weeks ago is where the employer basically will go to a default investment and their default investment is a money market fund, which was paying 0.25%. Now I'm sure the employee may have got an email saying you should invest it in something. Here's your choices. But if they don't return that email, the employer simply puts it into a money market fund paying 0.25%. It's extremely costly not to invest properly. And so here's an example at 3%, you would end up with this 417,000. Let's just say, you know, you listen to our show or you're, and, or you're, you're tell your kids or your grandkids to listen to the show or do this, and you invested your money, you got 7%. And they've got great options in some of these group plans. A lot of them are, are retirement dated. Um, I, I've seen some that have like 30 or 40 options. And quite frankly, I've gone through these options and, and worked this with the employees and try to say, okay, based on your plan, here's what you should have. So you should really actually go through with this with your financial planner. But if you were able to get 7%, your $300 a month would accumulate to 792,000. Like what a massive difference from the 278 by getting 3%. And the corp, the company's matching money is 396,000. So here you are, Let's say you messed up everything in your entire life except for this. You'd be a millionaire. You're, you're, you end up at retirement with $1.2 million. 
just if you did this with the employer. Who cares about the tax bracket management? Who cares about all this stuff? Just make sure you do it. And so here you're with 1.2 million. And let's say you could now, you want to be a little safer. You put it at 5%. You'll end up getting $5,971 a month until you turn 100, until that's time you'd run out of money. So call it six grand a month for life. And if you were, you know, if you just invested it poorly, you'd end up with 1600 a month to 100. So massive difference. And so I can't, you know, really, if I could say anything, make sure you use up those group plans. And that's just the accumulator. So if I had to say three takeaways, just do it, regardless of the tax bracket you're in. Anytime you get free money, take advantage of it. And if you're going to take advantage of it, go through your investment choices and invest properly. Um, the number one reason people fail as far as a retirement plan is procrastination. And the number two is poor investment decisions or they don't have an actual financial plan. Um, the other type of RSP client we would have would be an investor. Somebody that's already got $500,000 invested or more. You know, uh, we've seen people with well over into the 1.5 million in RSPs. Well, now you're into, let's manage those tax brackets. That's real key. And you actually might get to the point where tax-free savings accounts might be a better not better option. So you have to really decide, sit down with a financial planner. Should I maximize the RSP or should I add it to the TFSA? And these are good questions to have with your planner. Um, spousal RSPs. What about the spousal RSP strategy? There's a three-year rule with spousal RSPs. Maybe you can put it into a spousal RSP and then draw out money later at his or her tax bracket, which would be lower. And a great way to pull money out of those RSPs. And you still also may want to maximize your work one. Always, for that matter, you always want to maximize the work one. But again, allocation is key. Um, right now, we've got a couple more weeks left in RSP season, if you will. And, and you may want to actually borrow. Because if you're in this high bracket, and let's say you're making, you're in a 50% tax bracket, if you borrow 10000 you're going to get $5,000 back. That's an easy way to pay off that loan. Um, I, you know, I prefer people to pack pre-authorized check to add monthly to their, to their RSPs, which a lot of people are doing. But, uh, you know, if it comes crunch time, you know, borrowing makes sense, particularly if you're in a high tax bracket. And finally, there is the third RSP investor. And those are the ones that are, call it five years to retirement or already retired. And so now they often have a lot of RSP room. And what do they do? And we have to come up with a, a real strategy on how do we get the best use of what they have in RSP room. And, you know, borrowing may be part of it or really adding a lot monthly. But again, tax bracket management, it's extremely important. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. The one thing I hear with this group near retirement, and I don't know who started this rumor, RSPs are a bad thing. You just have to pay so much tax. And I go, what? I said, these are the people, and quite often they, they don't really understand. They've probably settled their parents' estate. They had to pay a whole lot of a tax because of their, all their RSPs or RIF money. And I'm thinking, that makes absolutely no sense because I've never heard anybody say, my pension plan, my pension plan was a bad thing because they, they got an income for life. Well, this is the same thing. If you had a pension plan that was paying you 5,000 a month for 35 years, that's like having a million bucks. But what if you only live to say 85? You've left 491,000 in your pension. 
that just goes back into the pension. If you had a million dollars in an RSP, you got to keep that 491,000. Yeah, so what if you had to give almost half of it to the government? So 223,000 would have gone to the government, but at least your beneficiary still got $267,000. And that's without any tax planning. So yes, RSPs are a fantastic thing. You, it's really your own personal pension plan. Tax planning, we can do a lot to make sure you don't pay 53.5%. We could do look at the old age security. Um, should you know how much uh, clawback do you want each year or try to avoid that or maybe get one one spouse gets the old age security one doesn't there's lots of things you can do there um, income splitting and Canada pension plan how do you work that into the mix at the end of the day everybody's got a puzzle it's a retirement puzzle and our job is to put the puzzle together as tax effective as possible we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Taking a break here, we're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're talking about uh, behavioral investing. How, how uh, difficult is it to keep your heart out of investing? Is it, uh, is it heart or mind? Which one should be pulling the strings here? Uh, when it comes to investing, it would be great not to really put any heart into it, just to just put your brain power into that and zero emotions. And mm -hmm. uh, a, a company that did some research on this is called Dalbar. They, they study behavior and analyzes investor market returns consistently. And it shows that the average investor uh, actually only gets 4.25% from the years of December 2019, I'm sorry, 2009 to uh, 2019. And the average S&P return was 6.06%. So that's a pretty significant gap, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound like too much. But if you extrapolate this, so 20 years, if you had $100,000 invested at 6%, you'd actually, in 20 years, you'd have $324,000 at the end. And if you had 4.25%, you'd only have 229,000. That's almost $100,000 difference. And it's only about 1.7% difference of return. So why is this happening? Why, why is the average uh, investor getting much less than the market gives? And it comes down to investor behavior. It's illogical and it's based off of emotion and it doesn't lead to long-term uh, investing, wise long-term investing decisions. The news, like I mentioned earlier, is constantly making it seem like we're going to have the biggest crash of all time. Even, even when the market's going up the last few years, people wanted to sit on the sidelines or not put money in. And since uh, 1926, this is a stat that I just found out. There's about 75 positive green years and 25 negative red years, which is 25% negative as, my, as Don and I both mentioned today. But uh, what was surprising to many is that only 11 of those years were worse than 10% negative, which really isn't too many in the last 100 years. Uh, but 
so people always constantly think that we're going to have a 30 to 40 percent drop but realistically we've only had 11 of those in the last 100 years roughly but some typical money losing moves that the average investor constantly makes is is buying high studies show that when the stock market goes up investors put more money in and when it goes down they pull it out this is very similar to someone going to the mall every time the price of something goes up and they return the <laughs> merchandise when the price goes down, assuming that they get that sale price when they return. That, that wouldn't be a very good trade-off. And it's Carl Richards has a, a nice image. It's uh, called the behavior gap. It's a, it's a similar graph and they're buying high and selling low. And at the end of this, it says repeat until you're broke mm. because that's the exact opposite of what you want to do. You want to be I buying when there's, sorry. I remember, Don, you saying years and years and years ago that, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, by the time you're finding out about it or the app, not you, but the average investor finds out that something's hot by that time, it's done. I mean, by that time, you know, the smart ones are already selling, not buying. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely incredible. The amount of information that the fund managers get that the general public does not get. Mm -hmm. And so they are the research and the analysts are doing so much work behind the scenes that when we finally hit the headlines that, oh, I did some research, it's really old news. So you yeah. cannot and, and the market has already made the adjustment based on that news. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that's pretty, pretty common and forefront for the last two years is that people believe that they can predict the future and they get, they get <laughs> overconfident and yeah. they keep saying they've done their own research. Well, I mean, there's so many websites and so much research out there. So how do you know which one's right? And why are you trusting this site over a professional who's been doing this for 35 years? So with overconfidence, you naturally think you're above average, but the average investor's getting 1.75% less than what the stock market gives you just if you just stay invested. So for example, in one study, 81% of new business owners thought that they would have a good chance of succeeding, but only 39% of their peers did. In another study, 93% of US drivers rated themselves in the top 50% drivers in terms of skill. So it's, yeah. it's impossible for 93% of the drivers to be in the top 50. <laughs> That's yes, 50%, almost 50% uh, of those drivers have to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to investing, overconfidence causes investors to exaggerate their ability to predict future events. They're quick to use past data, as you mentioned. Lots of things are already priced in and people are just reading about it now. And they're like, oh, this is going to happen. The interest rates are going to rise. And we're going to have a huge crash. Well, people have been thinking about interest rates for a long time. The market's already price adjusted to that. And if interest rates actually come in not as bad as before, the market could go up. So a lot of people are just reading into headlines constantly and basing their investment decisions, whether that's staying on the sidelines or just holding off uh, instead of just keeping to their financial plan and doing what's right for the long term. So how do you avoid losing money? Uh, one of the most common things is just to do nothing. Trust that you have a good plan. Trust that you work with a good planner. Uh, and that your long-term goals are intact as long as you just stick to what's done instead of making immediate actions based off of what news articles are coming out constantly. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905 972 7420. Quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, 
The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905 972 7420. All right, we're at the beginning of the year and there's some important dates we should be circling on our calendar in order to keep all our ducks in a row. Yes, and one thing's for certain is taxes. And they come every year, no matter how quickly, you know, the years seem to get quicker and quicker each year. And these all these slips just keep coming in. You know, one, as Mitch said, one thing that isn't certain is what the market's going to do next week. And, uh, you know, if any uh, you know, clients are listening out there, they'll know I have a crystal ball in the middle of my boardroom. And the whole idea of that is, you know, what do you think things are going to do? And I asked them to read this crystal ball because I have not figured this thing out yet. <laughs> and weirdly enough, neither has some of the best people in the world like Warren Buffett, et cetera. So, you know, it's, the taxes are the opposite. They are, there's, it's an exact calculation. And there's a whole bunch of slips coming. So right now, as I mentioned earlier, the first date is March 1st. That is the deadline for RSPs. It's 60 days after the beginning of the year. So every so often it's March, it's February 29th. And that's because of the leap years. But this year it's March the 1st. Uh, May 2nd, weirdly enough, is the tax deadline this year. It is not April 30th because that falls on a Saturday. So they, they extended an extra two days so that you can, you can still have that weekend to grind out those taxes until May 2nd at midnight to get your taxes in. Now, if you are self-employed, June 15th is the deadline. Now, if you owe taxes, you do have to get submit the money by May the 2nd. So I always wonder how that works. So you're supposed to guess how much money, I suppose, and send that in before May 2nd, but you actually don't actually have to send the paperwork in until June 15th. Um, now, anybody that contributed throughout uh, 2021, from March to December of last year to their RSPs, they likely have already received their tax slip because those ha- they, they should have been received by January 28th. So make sure if you haven't got those, uh, you know, call who is ever looking after your RSPs and make sure you have that. Now, on a different note, February 25th, a few weeks down the road, or a couple weeks down the road, is the deadline to start receiving your T3s, T5s, T4As, and the uh, T5008. And what those are, the T3 and T5s are more investment-oriented, dividends, interest, capital gains. Uh, February 25th is also the deadline to receive your T4 RSP or T4 RIF. So if you actually cashed in or received an income from those sources during the year, you, you should be getting them by, by February 25th. Uh, March 25th um, are, are, is the deadline for those that are putting your RSPs in now, in the first 60 days of the year. So because, you know, you have right until... March the 1st to make your contribution, it gives the provider up until March 25th to get those slips to you. And March 31st, if you own stocks, is the deadline to get those T3 and T5 slips to you. So it's uh, there's a whole lot of slips coming your way. Now, one thing is there's a lot of people doing online now. And so you can get these a lot quicker if you go online and you just check to see if they've already created these slips for you. Um, the difference is, if you're doing your own tax return, you uh, you know most of it's online taxes, so you actually can use these. You don't actually have to print them out. You have to provide them if you're going to get audited. So you you know it's, I like paper myself. So if you ever get audited, it's right there. But you know you can always just leave them online. 
Um, and, and it's just a little neater. And for that matter, a lot of tax preparers now, you can just simply email them the slips. So if you are getting online slips, you can just send these slips right to your tax provider. Um, other slips that you should think about though, is, is if you borrowed money for investment purposes, that it would be interest. And there's no actual slip for that. Um, you, you may have a line of credit or a mortgage that was used for say a rental property or for investments or mutual funds, et cetera. And you just need to look at your December 31st mortgage statement or line of credit statement to see how much interest you paid. And then you get to write that off as a carrying charge. So make sure you don't forget that one. Uh, the other one is advisory fees. So if you are dealing with a financial advisor, all the advisory fees for non-registered, so not an RSP, not a tax-free savings account, but a non-registered account, those are tax deductible again. And they will be split up between you and your spouse, depending on what ownership you have on that non-registered account. Uh, charitable receipts, again, you probably got those throughout the year. And if you're like most people, you've kind of just throw them into a drawer and then use them at the end of the year. And medical uh, receipts, that's the one you might have to do a little legwork for. So you may have to run around if you've got, if you deal with a chiropractor, go ask him or her for those slips, uh, massage or dental even. Um, you know, but the other ones people often miss is if they have a medical insurance and you're paying out of pocket. So that's all tax deductible. And so is travel insurance. Finally, people are traveling again. So, you, you know, for those people that had purchased travel insurance, that is also tax deductible. How that works, it's a tax credit, not tax deductible. I, I, I'm wrong there, but it's, it's tax credit. It's 3% of your net income or, any, or um, 200, uh, anything over um, $2,421. So if you make over 81,000 a year, basically, then you get to start claiming any medical receipts over $2,421. And it can be put on the lowest spouse's income. So income splitting is super important too. There's lots of tax planning tips. I'm sure we'll go over some of them as the year pro progresses, but here's a good start for you now anyway. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Another great show, gentlemen. Thank you so much. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.